0: Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you to Professional Oklahoma Educators' Bite-Sized Learning Podcast, where bite-sized changes can have a big impact in the classroom. This is Season 1, Episode 8. I'm Jason Bings, the Director of Professional Learning at PoE and the host of this podcast. We're continuing our episodes to help you prepare for the next school year, and the title of this episode is Wash, Rinse, Repeat. Today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about decluttering. Now I know you may be thinking, what does decluttering have to do with the instructions on a shampoo bottle? Well, hopefully you'll see that as we go. This is an issue that we as teachers struggle with. It's it's a personal battle for me that I still struggle with. If you've been in education long enough, you know that many of the ideas, resources, and materials have a tendency to run in cycles. They repeat themselves. Something that you're required to use at the beginning of your career may disappear for a while, come back in the middle of your career, and disappear again, only to return a few years later. So this is where that wash, rinse, repeat concept comes in, and education is the epitome of that concept. Because of that, and truthfully for many other reasons, teachers have a tendency to hang on to resources. We know we're going to need it again. Teachers have this innate need To hang on to old textbooks, to library books, old worksheets, and a bunch of random stuff like coffee cans, and butter tubs, and Pringles cans, and paper towel tubes. We've been trained to hang on to everything, not necessarily by other teachers, but necessity has trained us to do that. We may be able to use it for something. We don't know what, but we might be able to use it for something but we don't have to be that way. Most likely, we aren't going to need these items that we're hanging on to. So to kind of illustrate what I mean and to let you know how severe this illness is for teachers, I want to share with you an example from my career. When I entered my first full-time position, I took over for a teacher that simply walked out the door when school ended. And two weeks before school was set to start, she decided she wasn't going to return. Great for me, that opened a door for me to get a job. But she didn't take anything with her. I walked into a classroom full of resources, which was great, except for the fact that it appeared that the teacher prior to her did the exact same thing. So I walked into a classroom full of two teachers' leftovers. What I found in that classroom were stacks of old textbooks that were already a decade old. Not bad if you're teaching classical literature, but I was teaching math and science. And for those of you who don't know, science textbooks are out of date before they even come to the printers. So to have a textbook, or sets of textbooks, that were a decade old already and were out of date before they were printed should have been disturbing to me, but it wasn't. Because I didn't know better. I was so grateful for the resources, I was excited to walk into a fully stocked classroom. As a new teacher, accepting his first full-time position, I didn't have anything of my own to start with. I started going through the treasures I found in the cabinets right away. Little did I know, but the teachers that were on either side of me had already started going through what the previous teacher left behind, and they got rid of some of the junk she'd left behind. What was left in my new room was all the good stuff. Now I, I found in those resources original worksheets for mimeograph machines that look like Edison might have used them. Okay, so I need to stop and explain a little bit about what a mimeograph is to some of you. So if you've graduated in the last fifteen years, you may not be familiar with it, but you might know the risograph or rhizograph which is the faster, younger cousin that many schools made us use for large numbers of copies. So anytime you were making copies of more than 25 or 30, you had to use the graph machine. Now both of these machines required or relied on liquid ink for the copies. And this liquid ink gave off a very distinct smell. And that smell is something that those of us growing up in the 80s and earlier find very nostalgic. In fact, many of us still have this instinctual urge to smell paper when people hand copies out to us because of this sense of nostalgia we get from it. The smell is very different from what you get from the copies that are using the powder toner today. If you've ever been around that, you, you know it by the smell, you know it by that purplish tint. Uh, that you see on the masters and and especially on on masters that are well used. Now I also found books and folders that were full of these that took several years to dispose of. Now why it took me that long I'm not really sure. Part of it was the nostalgia couldn't get rid of them. Part of it was because I thought I might need it at some point. In fact, it took me 12 years before I finally got rid of it, and even at that 12-year mark, I still hadn't gotten rid of a lot of them, and I don't understand why. Looking back now, there are some things that I would have done differently, and I'm telling you all of this to give you some insight into this illness that so many of us suffer from as teachers. We know that there are times that resources are scarce. We know we can creatively use or reuse so many different things. And because of that we don't want to get rid of anything. We're great examples of upcycling. The world could learn so much from teachers and how we use and reuse and repurpose materials. But what we're doing isn't healthy for us and actually can make our classroom oppressive to some of our students. So what can you learn from my mistakes? Or maybe I should ask, what did I learn from my mistakes that I hope you can learn without needing to make those same mistakes? So here's what I learned. Number one, if you haven't used it in three years, it should already be in the recycle bin. You don't need to keep an outdated resources that you haven't referenced in three years just because you think you might need it again someday. Someday's not going to get here. If you really think you might need it again, why not find the digital version of it and save it somewhere in a cloud resource that won't clutter your learning space. Number two, if it is outdated, replace it with an updated version that's more relevant. Don't keep both copies. Get rid of the old one when you find the new edition. Number three, don't keep empty containers just because you might need them for something or you might be able to use them in some creative manner. If you don't already have a very specific project in mind for it that you will definitely need it for, put it in the recycle bin. If you get to a project later and it turns out that you actually needed it, you'll find another one. or request it from your students. Many of your students will have some of those same containers sitting around their homes that their parents are more than glad to get rid of. And letting your students be an active part of gathering those resources for the classroom gives them a sense of ownership in what they're doing. Make sure though you give plenty of lead time for that. You don't want to jump right into an activity the week of, and expect everybody to be able to get those containers or whatever resource it is to you. Lesson four, don't keep more than one printed copy of a worksheet for your files. In fact, if possible, keep only a digital copy. How much more room would you have in your classroom if you could get rid of all of, or maybe not all, but most of the filing cabinets in your classroom? It's also much easier to send a print job to the copier than it is to carry a copy of it down there and wait in line to make the copies. I don't know about you, but I have had a tendency over the years to to lose some of those copies, but if I had that digital version of it, I wouldn't have to stress about that. Lesson 5. Make all of your copies for the week the Thursday or Friday before you need them, so you don't stress about it over the weekends. Or, so you don't stress about it the week of the lessons. How many times have you gone down to make a copy and the copy machine is broken down? How stressful is that if you're doing that and needing those copies the day of? After you make your copies, sort them into folders for the day you're going to need them. And have a place in your desk or in your cabinet to store those folders until the time comes that you actually need them. If you'll only have on your desk the papers for the day that you're teaching, you'll be much better off and present a much more organized image to your students. Number six, have baskets or folders for your students to turn in their work. And make sure you have one for each class period or subject so you don't have to spend time sorting them out when you're ready to review them. If you've only got one basket that they're turning all their work into, You'll spend half your time sorting papers before you even get to the grading part of it. Number 7. Make sure that most of what you put on your bulletin boards is related to learning. It used to be a requirement from many principals that you change your bulletin boards every month or every quarter. And what this resulted in was teachers needed mountains of resources for bulletin boards that fit every season and every theme but often had very little educational value. Now, I would suggest you focus more on the educational content than the decorative value of the items you put on the boards. You do want things to look good, but that shouldn't be your primary focus. I understand full well that after a week or two, because of the way the brain works, anything that you put on your walls turns into wallpaper for your students, unless somehow you call attention to it. So to call attention to it, you need to change those resources a little bit. You need to point out and use it as part of your instruction. But if your bulletin boards are active learning resources more than they are decoration, you're going to get much better results in the long run, and you'll be able to cut down on the decorations that you have to store somewhere. Number eight, and this one may offend some of you, don't over-decorate. You can use personal items to decorate and personalize your classroom, but don't overdo it. I've walked into multiple classrooms that were wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling decoration. This can have detrimental effects on your learning environment without you realizing it. It can be distracting or overstimulating for some of your students, and for others it can feel oppressive. Or it can... Give this sense to your students that they can't touch anything because you're so worried about keeping the decorations pristine and in good order that your kids can't focus on anything else and you're constantly calling them out for that. So save yourself the hassle and minimize your decoration to help you and your students stay on track. Number nine, don't put items on the free table. And avoid shopping at the free table. You know what I'm talking about. Every school has a place like that in the workroom. Teachers bring in their unwanted items and put them on a table and then they put a sign up that says free. So this is much like putting items on the curb that you don't want. This isn't like the free puppy. This is the junk that people set on their curb hoping that somebody's going to come by and pick it up. Dispose of it properly the junk you put on the curb should be taken to a city drop-off site but you're passing your junk to someone else don't do this at school you don't need to encourage someone else's hoarding habits you're enabling them their students will thank you all right so I could go on but I think you get the point what I'm suggesting is that we adopt an attitude almost like Marie Kondo would when it comes to our classrooms But I'm not going to tell you to thank the items for their service prior to recycling them, but I will leave you with these guidelines for moving forward. First, if it has a defined purpose in your classroom, keep it. Second, if it might be useful someday, not today, not tomorrow, but someday, recycle it. Third, once you've gotten rid of the clutter, organize what you have left in a way that makes sense for your classroom. Hopefully this will be of some use to you as you prepare for for the coming school year. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please share and comment to let us know how we can help you and others. You can leave your comments on your podcatcher of choice, but to guarantee we receive them in a timely manner, go to bit.ly slash sized pod and complete the form. If you'd like to schedule a professional learning session for your school, or an online meeting, you can send an email to pd at apoe.org. If you would like more information about professional Oklahoma educators, check out our website, www.apoe.org. You can find the links to this podcast and blog under the Resources tab, or by going to Learning.blogspot.com. PoE can also be found on Facebook at apoe.org, and on Twitter at edu.